Good morning. Thank you, buddy. Great job. Take your Bibles, turn with me this morning to Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter number 10. And we're going to pick up in verse number 24 with the message that I've entitled, Are You Really Listening? You have the right to expect that your church's pulpit is going to be filled by prepared men preaching prepared sermons. You have the right to expect preachers who have prepared themselves spiritually and also have spent many hours preparing their sermon. You have the right to expect preachers to pour themselves out in preaching of the Word of God to you. But what does the one who is speaking have a right to expect from his listeners? Charles Spurgeon, the great 19th century preacher, said, that the hearer needed to prepare even more than the preacher. Spurgeon said, We are told that men ought not to preach without preparation. Granted. But we add, men ought not to hear without preparation. Which do you think needs the most preparation? The sower or the seed? Which would be required more, the sower or the ground? I would have the sower come in with clean hands, but I would have the ground well prepared, well plowed, and harrowed, and the clods broken before the seed comes in. It seems to me that there is more preparation needed by the ground than by the sower, more by the hearer than by the preacher. As one who speaks regularly, I can attest that sometimes I feel that I'm not getting through, only to find out sometime later that I actually did. It's also true that sometimes I I feel like I'm connecting, only to find out later that I didn't. But generally speaking, I believe that it's true to say that those who receive the most are those who are prepared to respond to the message. You remember in our last study of the book of Acts, we left Peter as he left the city of Joppa, headed to Caesarea, to the house of Cornelius. At Caesarea, they meet Cornelius and those whom he has gathered to hear Peter's message. It would be wonderful if every preacher, when he stood up to preach, should find the reception that Peter found gathered in the house of Cornelius. Verse number 24 says, And the following day they entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I myself am also a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many who had come together. And then he said to them, You know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or go into one of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Therefore I came without objection as soon as I was sent for. I asked them, for what reason have you sent for me? Cornelius had been prepared by God. Peter had been 
prepared by God, but they were not the only ones who had been prepared. Verse 33, after rehearsing for Peter the circumstances that had led to his request in verses 30 through 32, he says in verse 33, So I sent to you immediately, and you have done well to come. Now, therefore, we are all present before God to hear all the things commanded you by God. Cornelius had prepared his whole household, and now they're anxiously awaiting to hear from Peter. God has prepared Cornelius and the preacher. He has prepared Peter, and he has prepared the audience. When you go to church, don't you want to receive a good message? I believe you do. If so, the best way is to come with a prepared heart. Look with me at three things about our message this morning. First of all, the preparation of Peter. Peter had received a vision from the Lord that opened his eyes about his prejudicial view toward Gentiles. It was God who opened his eyes that he should not deem anyone as beyond the reach of the gospel. God gave a new truth to Peter. And then he gave him an opportunity to act upon that truth that he had learned. Just as the vision is completed, the couriers arrive from Cornelius requesting him to come to Caesarea. I believe that it is often the case that the Lord shows us some tr- new truth. And then he gives us the opportunity to act on what we have learned. This new truth in our lives may have come about as a result of a personal Bible study. It may have come about in a class or as a result of a sermon. But when God has challenged our hearts, he often provides opportunities, situations, circumstances that call upon us to put those principles into action. Peter has learned the lesson well and he responds to the welcome that he has received in Cornelius' home by saying, in verse 28, God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. The second thing we see this morning is the proclamation of Peter. Verse 34 says, And then Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth I perceive that God shows no partiality, but in every nation... Whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. The word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. That word you know, which was proclaimed through all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached. I think it's exciting to see how Peter packs so much into a very short message. We sometimes confuse length with effectiveness. This was certainly not true for the apostle under the direction of the Holy Spirit. He was both insightful and succinct. He covers all the necessary ground of who Jesus was and what Jesus did. And with that in mind, I want to just point out three things very quickly that that Peter told Cornelius about Jesus. First of all, he presented Jesus as the peace of God. He says in verse 36, the word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is the Lord of all. 
In his letter to Romans, Paul writes in Romans chapter 5 and verse 1, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. He says if you want peace in life, you want to enjoy peace, the first peace that you have to have is peace with God. And that peace comes about by recognizing your sin, repenting of your sin, and asking of the Lord Jesus Christ become your personal Savior. In his letter to the Ephesians, he wrote, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, For he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation. Jesus is our peace. He is our mediator with the Father. There is no need for any other. Peter also presented Jesus as the power of God. In verse 36, it says how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. As believers, we need more than just peace with God. We need the power to live out that life, to live out the Christian life, and that power is available through Jesus Christ. He presented him as the power of God, He also presented Jesus as the presence of God. He says, for God was with him. Jesus was more than just a messenger from God. Jesus was more than just the world's greatest teacher. Jesus was more than the greatest prophet. He was God in human form. And then Peter also presented Jesus as the pardon of God. To him all prophets witness that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. The greatest need that any of us have is the need to be forgiven. And Peter presents Jesus as the means through which we can be pardoned from our past. He sensed that Cornelius was estranged from God and so he presented Jesus as the peace of God. He discerned that Cornelius had a feeling of inadequacy, so he presented Jesus as the power of God. He felt Cornelius' guilt, and so he presented Jesus as the pardon of God. Peter presented Jesus in such a way that Cornelius knew that he had met his every need. And so in the middle of the message, Cornelius yielded himself to Jesus Christ. It says in verse 44, while Peter yet spoke, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came upon, fell upon all those who heard the word. And those of the circumcision who believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out on the Gentiles also. For they heard them speak with tongues that magnify God. And then Peter answered, Can anyone forbid water that these should be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And verse 48, And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. And then they asked him to stay for a few days. So the Lord used Peter to proclaim his word. And through the proclaiming his word, the entire family came to know Jesus is their personal Savior. It must have been exciting and a distinct pleasure to preach to an audience 
as prepared as those were who were assembled in the house of Cornelius. However, some feel that listening to a sermon is something that is done to me or inflicted upon me rather than something that I'm expected to take part in. Contrary to popular opinion, preaching is not a spectator sport. There is a need to recognize that some participation is expected by those who are receiving the preaching. That's not an expectation by me. That's an expectation by God. It is an active rather than a passive event. In verse 33, we see a beautiful example of an active listener in the person of the Roman centurion. He says, now we are here in the presence of, the, of God to listen to everything that the Lord has commanded you to tell us. If you remember back when Jesus was in his ministry on the earth here and he was telling a parable, it was the parable of the sower. At the conclusion of that parable, Jesus warned his disciples in Luke chapter 8 and verse 18, take heed how you hear. Jesus is pointing out there is a distinct difference between hearing and listening. I'm almost sure that everyone in this place hears me this morning with the physical ability to hear. I'm also pretty sure that not everybody's listening to me. Do you ever remember your mother saying to you, you better listen to me? She knew you were hearing her words, but she was not sure that you were listening to her words. Too many people consider preaching as a one-way communication and that the success or failure of that rests solely upon the preacher. It may be alarming to realize that Scripture has as much to say about the listener's responsibility to hear and understand and implement the message as it does about the preacher's obligation to preach. The BT and Awawile, don't ask me to repeat that name, is the pastor of First Baptist Church in Cayman Islands. He wrote his definition of expositional listening. Most of you who have been a member of this church for a long time know that we're proponents of expositional preaching, taking the Word of God one verse at a time and explaining it. Here's his definition of expositional listening. He says, healthy church members are those who listen in a particular way to the Word of God as it is preached and studied. They let God set the agenda by seeking always to hear the true meaning of the text so that they can apply it to their lives. Little things are often more significant than we realize, and one of those is the way that we listen is indicative of our real interest in spiritual things. Today I want to share with you from the vantage point of the preacher how you can be an active listener. There are four things that every 
Christian can bring to a worship service. First of all, a prepared soul. Communication studies show us that generally those audiences who have come prepared to receive the message are the ones who get the most from it. When you come to church, do you want to hear a good message? Then the best way is to come with a prepared soul. The way you can do this is, first of all, you can read next Sunday's passage. We go verse by verse, chapter by chapter, so you know what's coming next. You can read ahead. You can pray for the message and for the messenger. You can calm your spirit before you come into the house of God. If you fought all the way to church, I'm just going to guess you're not going to be in a very good attitude to receive God's word. You can calm your spirit. You can work on your attitude. Listeners with a bad attitude are poor listeners. It is your job to prepare yourself to receive the message from God. Nobody but you can prepare your heart. If you come with the expectation that you will receive nothing from the message, guess what? It's a self-fulfilling prophecy. You will receive nothing from the message. The second thing that you can bring is an alert mind. Any farmer can tell you that when the seed is sown, everything depends upon the condition of the soil. So it is also true with the listener's heart. I believe that is also why and, and significant that the Jewish Sabbath started on the evening before. Many people drag their weary bodies into the service on Sunday morning without adequate rest. They stay up late on Saturday night, and then they fight to stay awake in the services. The obvious truth is that sleepy listeners are poor listeners. Pastor John Piper said something that really struck home with me. He said it is a terrible thing to teach our children by example that worship is so optional that it doesn't matter if we're exhausted when we come. As long as we have chosen to attend the service physically, we might as well attend mentally. And that requires concentration. The simple fact is this. You as listeners think faster than any speaker can speak. So it is nearly impossible for you to keep your minds filled only with what I say. The words may trigger other thoughts, related thoughts, unrelated thoughts, and you're off on a tangent. So being attentive requires self-discipline. Our minds wonder when we worship. Sometimes we daydream. But we need to remember this, and this if you don't get anything else out of it, get this because this is what struck my heart. Listening to sermons is a part of worship that we offer to God. Listening to sermons is a part of the worship that we offer to God. We need to feel involved in what's going on, and here are some things you could have come up with on your own, I'm sure. 
Sit closer to the front. We have plenty of room right in there. As long as you sit on the second row about where Brother Steve is, I can't see whether your eyes are open or not. So you're in good shape. If you sit on the first row, taking chance. Some of you in the balcony, feel free to move down on the floor. Don't be overly concerned with the clock. We had a gentleman in our church when my predecessor was pastor and the way he let everybody know what time it was was at the end of the service if he if the pastor was going a little long he'd go like this <sighs> his watch three or four times and he was letting the pastor know he was overtime be conscious about your body language <clears throat> what does this tell you bless me if you can Your body language tells me a lot. If your head's on the pew in front of you, that tells me something too. Listen sympathetically. If you want to hear somebody mess up, just keep coming and listening to me. You can clean up this exterior, but on the inside, it's still a redneck. My wife just told me this week, you do know that there's no such word as drowned. It's drowned. No? When I say it, it's drowned. So you'll have plenty to keep up with. And the last is to resist distractions. I loved it over in the old auditorium. had that one man in the church. He would come out after the church was over, and he would say something like this. Well, you preached 28 minutes and 32 seconds. And by the way, there are 12,276 knot holes in the ceiling. I'm pretty sure he didn't know what I talked about. And then, of course, is to avoid being a distraction. And that's just try to avoid going and coming in the service after the service has started. Another thing that you can bring is an open Bible. I would encourage you to bring your Bible to every service, to stay involved, to look up some of the passages, but not necessarily all the passages. It only stands the reason that we profit most from sermons when our Bibles are open. Make notes. You'll remember more. It's not important because I said it. It's important because it's God's Word. But don't get so caught up in notes or filling in blanks that you disengage from the sermon. Listen for personal application. As a man rose from his pew one Sunday after the message, he remarked, well, the sermon is over. To which another man replied, no, now the sermon begins. That's the kind of hearing that pleases God. James tells us that we are to be doers of the word and not hearers only. And finally, a receptive heart. The last thing we can do to be a better listener is to have a receptive heart. And by that, I mean that real listeners should be itching to put into practice what they learn from God's Word. Look again at verse 33. Now, therefore, we are all present before God to hear all the things commanded you by God. Cornelius 
acknowledged that Peter had been sent by God to communicate certain truths through him and that he, that is Cornelius, would be responsible by God for applying those truths in his life. There's always something to do in response to the preaching of God's Word. The good news today is that experts tell us that listening improves with practice. So every sermon you listen to gives you a new opportunity to practice. Whenever the gospel is preached, God is glorified. When God has prepared the messenger as as well as those who hear him, then things, tremendous things can happen, as they did in Caesarea at the home of Cornelius. But be aware that other things besides the gospel can be shared in the place of the gospel. It may even produce results. People may be pleased and say, well, that was wonderful. It made me so, feel so good about myself. But if it's not the gospel, it will not be blessed by God in the saving of souls and the changing of human lives. What God has always used to turn men and women from sin and to empower them to live victoriously is the good news of Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and coming again. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. And we recognize it really is difficult to stay engaged in a message. That we're doing very well, and then our minds are off on a tangent. But that we are in control of our minds. And so help us, Lord, to become active listeners. Recognizing that it is a part of the worship that we offer to you. Help us to be more participatory in the way that we listen. Father, there may be someone here that has never turned their lives over to you. Some time in the past, perhaps, they've heard and understood that they're a sinner, but they've never done anything about it. They've never turned to you repented of that sin and asked to be forgiven. They've never been a recognition that Jesus died on the cross for them and paid for their sin. If there's even one here today that doesn't know you in a personal, intimate way, Lord, it is our prayer that they might use this opportunity to make that decision for you. Father, we pray for each of us that you would take your word and that you would apply it in our hearts and lives in whatever fashion you so desire. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.